This is a special episode of the Publicity for Pet Businesses podcast and it's one of the Changemaker series where I shine a light on people who are doing amazing things to help animals. This week I'm speaking to Hannah Capon, the founder of Canine Arthritis Management, about her work. So in this episode, Hannah talks all about how she first came up with the idea for canine arthritis management and how one afternoon when she had to put to sleep two dogs who weren't ready to be say goodbye to their families absolutely broke her heart and inspired her to go out and help owners in their homes to make life more comfortable and less painful for dogs who have arthritis. Now, five years on, Hannah has got a huge, huge following on social media and online. She has spoken on stages all over the world. She now runs Canine Arthritis Management, which is a social enterprise full time. And what she's done recently is launched an influencer campaign. So we are not talking about your regular influencers. We're talking about you, you as a pet business owner and how you can be an influencer and how you can educate your clients whether you're a pet product brand, whether you're a dog walker, groomer, trainer, you can educate clients so they know more about canine arthritis via the resources that Hannah provides and then they can go and help their pets and make sure that they're pain-free. So it's an incredible, incredible campaign and I am so honoured to speak to, Hannah, speak to Hannah about it. I hope you enjoyed this episode and do please go and check out the free resources that Hannah talks about here because she's got so much out there to help you educate your um your pet owners who come to you who come to you with their problems and how you can have a positive influence on them and help their pets live long happy and pain-free lives so now over to hannah it is just such an absolute honor to have her on the show and i hope you enjoy this episode so today on the podcast i'm really excited to be speaking to hannah capon who is the founder of canine arthritis management and that's a social enterprise helping pet owners and people in the industry understand more about arthritis and how it affects our pets so thank you so much hannah for coming to join me on the show i'm loving it it's great any chance to get the word out oh thank you so much so can you tell me i know we've spoken a lot over the years but some of um, some of the people listening might never have come across your work so can you tell me a little bit about what canine arthritis management is all about so it started in around about 2015 as a simple facebook page in that i was a vet during the day and in the evenings and weekends i was doing a mobile service going to people's homes trying to understand how people interpreted this disease what they were doing about it as well as offering my vet services combined with clinical massage, which is called garden myotherapy. And whilst I was doing this service, I was really aware that a lot of things that people were doing in their home environment weren't very sensible. And they were just overlooked. People didn't realise that the wooden staircase onto the wooden floor was really dangerous and the dog was going up and down and slipping. They didn't see that the dog falling down the back steps or tripping over and stumbling was a problem because the dog didn't vocalise and they just got on with it. So the penny kind of started to drop that um, that was something that was being really neglected in the management plan. And it was something very safe to put out for the best of everyone. And if I was spending an hour and a half at someone's home, why didn't I take photos and put it on a Facebook page and start letting other people learn? So vicarious learning. Um, and that Facebook page, um, it grew really quite well. And I was, I was quite surprised. So that then inspired me to start creating a website because I was realising that owner's understanding of arthritis wasn't very good. And to be quite honest, mine hadn't been. Even as a vet, I didn't realise how complex this disease was. So I set about writing a website 
and that was completed in 2016. And then it snowballed from there. So we now have Cam main page on Facebook, which we put a lot of energy into. And we have about 35,000 followers on that. Wow. Then have Holly's Army, which is a community group for owners to share their stories and ask advice. And it's it's vet supervised. And that's got about six and a half thousand owners. Then we've got the canine arthritis equipment review page on Facebook which again, about 5,000 people. And it's for all of those non-therapeutic products that people buy, like beds, harnesses, trolleys. There's a lot of rubbish out there and people spend a lot of money in this area and quite often come back with substandard products. We've then got a few other groups for the people that run the groups. Yeah. (laughs) We've got Facebook tied up. Then we're on Instagram, Twitter, and we're transferred all of our interviews onto YouTube. So we now have a presence on YouTube. We do practice training. So we'll go into a practice and we'll train reception separate to nurses, separate to vets, and then bring the whole team together. And we can spend a day and completely change the way that they think about arthritis and what they can offer. We do owner workshops. So um, this year I travelled around New Zealand and did multiple lectures. It was like being a superstar. You go off a plane, give a lecture, get back on a plane. Wow. Um, And what else do we do? We do um, industry consultancy. and We've got a shop. So we've got um, www.camonlineshop.com, which isn't going to sell um, anything therapeutic. It's very much the non-therapeutic therapeutic aids like the harnesses the beds lots of educational material because that's obviously lacking um yeah we've got quite a lot going on okay wow um we haven't spoken for about for a while and whenever i do speak to you it's normally for comment for a story and i obviously keep an eye on what you're doing because i'm so nosy but Crikey, that's loads. So can you, when we, when I put this podcast out, there'll be some show notes and a blog post that goes with mm. it. So I will get all of your links and put, so any of the things that Hannah's just mentioned there, they'll be linked to, so you can go and find it if you're listening um, and yeah. find out more about the work that Hannah does. And um, so can you go, can we rewind a little bit to when you first started realising about, um, when you kind of have that light bulb moment as a vet where you realise about, about how big yeah. the problem of arthritis was and when you kind of decided you wanted to make a change can you tell me about that so before you started going out to the home the mobile service take me back yeah to that moment. so there'd, there'd been this echo in me that what we're doing for a very common consultation just wasn't good enough and I was looking at what my peers were doing and it was very standard it was um having the dog in discussing where the arthritis could be on the dog's body, which joints, how bad it was. And then more often enough, they'd go on to a non-steroidal supplement, would say exercise them little and often. And that was about it. And I was just thinking to myself, this is daft. (laughs) This is daft. Because when you look at a dog, the majority, the volume of the dog is muscle. So 45% of the volume of a dog is muscle. And in greyhounds, it's up to 55, 60%. Mm -hmm. it's a huge portion of the dog that we didn't really know very much about um not as vets you know we were talking much about the nervous system and about the articular system and about the skeletal system but I just can remember thinking I don't know enough about this and when I was having dogs coming in with mild to moderate lameness and I was saying here's a non-steroidal right rest them up lead walk you know come back in three weeks let's have another look I felt I wasn't 
doing that very well. So I was already interested in knowing more. And I had been looking around whether I needed to retrain as a physiotherapist or what I could do to learn more. But at the same time, I um, I was acutely aware that we were having a lot of dogs being put to sleep for you know, musculoskeletal issues. And I found it really strange that it was accepted. Um, they'd come in and on the diary, it'd be off back legs, can't walk anymore, um, struggling or something. And so there wasn't a diagnosis. It wasn't like this dog's got lymphoma. It's had a long um, investigation and a, a management plan. It's been in remission and sadly it's broken through when we've now run out of choices. There was no workup to these dogs. There was no preceding events. They were just put on an anti-inflammatory and then, you know, end of days. Yeah. I found that really strange. Um, and a very academic view, it just didn't make any sense. And from an emotional view, it felt that we weren't doing as good as we could do. So that was all circulating in the back of my head. And then one afternoon I was working in a practice in Brighton and I can remember it so clearly. I can remember the, the lino floor was this blue speckly floor and the room was kind of yellow lighting and there's a table in the middle of it. And two of my afternoon consults back to back were put to sleeps, um, both the dogs that had gone off their back legs. Yeah. It was classic. They were written in the diary, off back legs, can't walk anymore. And when the dogs came in um, individually, so it was back to back, um, everything else was fine. Everything else. The teeth were clean. The eyes were bright. Well, you could see that they were sad. Mm-hmm. But their, their heart was fine. Their chest was clear. There was nothing in the abdomen for me to worry about. And there was no muscle on the back legs. You know, So you had this shiny coat and lack of muscle on back legs. You're thinking, that doesn't happen overnight. This happens over months, if not years. And the owners were in tears. They absolutely adored their dogs. They felt that they had done everything that they could do. But there was this big elephant in the room that no one was talking about, which was, well, we should have picked this up ages ago and we should have done more about it. And no one says anything yeah, because we're at endpoints and it's not it's not the done thing to say, well, I think you should have come into me two years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't never do that. No. And um, yeah, two in one afternoon, you just sit back and go, right, okay. Let's rethink this situation. We're really good at proactively vaccinating, you know, worming, flea treatment. We do puppy checks. We um, encourage senior health checks. Where is this being missed? Uh, that was kind of the, the spur, really, for me of I know that we can do better. But both sides of the table, owners and vets. So, Hannah, can you remember how old those dogs were that came in that day? They're probably, I think they were over 10. I think mm-hmm. they were over 10, but I wouldn't like to say that they were hitting the good old years of 14 to 16. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I know we've talked about stats in the past when we've written about arthritis, but can you give me some figures about, um, you know, the kind of timeline really with bad. the arthritis really with dogs? Okay. So current figures, and um, it seems to be going up all the time. Back in 1996, um, a guy called Johnston did a telephone poll of veterinarians over in the US asking, you know, what's the prevalence of OA in their practices? And at that point, they believed that 20% of all dogs, so 20% of all dogs over the age of six months, for example. And that also suggested that 80% of dogs over the age of eight had arthritis. Well, that's a huge underestimate. Because at that point in 1996, I would like to believe that we didn't know as much as we do now. 
we're becoming much more aware of the behavioural aspects of chronic pain expression. And those veterinarians back then may have not put two and two together. So they're looking at limping dogs. Mm-hmm. When we take into account posture change, capability change, behavioural change that can express, you know, be a sign of pain, um, I think that they were missing the mark. Recent figures from Duncan Lascelles and his group, they're suggesting 35% of all dogs, but I've also seen figures as high as 40, 45% of all okay. dogs, no matter their age, no matter age, no matter breed. Okay. Wow. Um, okay. So again, sorry, I do feel like I'm kind of jumping around all over the place, but you've said so many things, you're saying so many things and I've, it's so, so helpful. And I'm conscious that the people who listen to my podcast are walkers, groomers, trainers, people who are seeing dogs every day. And you've just, you know, those figures are really, you know, if we're looking at 45%, that's nearly, you know, it's nearly one in two dogs have arthritis and really scary and when you talked about the you know looking at those poor dogs who came in that day and then the the, you know they're they're not having muscle in their legs and that being a sign and what can the kind of what can people who are working with dogs every day but who aren't vets look out for when it comes to um you know the signs of arthritis in their Well, there's so much. So um, there's a there's a really good PDF that you can download from the CAM website, which is www.caninearthritis.co.uk. And it's called the Suspicion of Chronic Pain PDF. And it's um, an A4 piece of paper that has a diagram with, in the centre it says chronic pain, and then there's four prongs that come off of it, which is behaviour change, posture change, physical changes, capability and gait changes. And then there's three um, spaces under each of those categories to write what you're seeing. So let's just go through that. You know, if you've got a dog that has started to become either a lot more needy, um, really, really sticks to your legs, a bit scared of other dogs being around them, you know, that's a that's a behavioural change that could imply that that dog is a bit sore and they really, really don't like the risk of another dog mm-hmm. running into them, the unpredictability that that could cause pain because it's a learnt behaviour. Um, Or you can have a dog that starts becoming more, well, I'm going to tell you to go away before you come near me. So you could have a dog that's actually becoming quite, um, I don't want to say aggressive, but more um, difficult to be around other Mm -hmm. dogs. Um, Maybe they lunge on the lead and they seem that they've become really intolerant. And that might be their way of saying, actually, you know, I don't want you near me because I know that you could actually hurt me. Um, it could be a dog that um, when the dog walker goes to the house and they normally come and greet them at the door, but they can't be bothered to get out of the bed anymore. You know, they're just not so enthusiastic with life. So behaviour change is massive. And a recent study suggested that um, anywhere between 28 and 82 percent of behavioural problems are pain related. That's crazy. So that's from the University of Lincoln. And they asked, I think it was it was a fair fair whack of clinical and behaviourists around the world I wouldn't like to say 100 but it was a it was a big number of um, clinicians from around the globe um what do you see in your caseload and they broke it down and saw what was associated with pain and some clinicians up to 80% of their caseload is is pain related behavioural change and then you've got your postural change so if you think about it um at the moment I've got back pain so I find myself leaning forward a lot and then that creates other problems when my hip, hip flexors are tight, my quads are tight. That's now changed the way that I kind of walk. And postural change is something that we all do to prevent ourselves being uncomfortable. So you can have dogs that start developing an arch to their back 
or they always stand on one leg when you're standing at the end of the lead. They always shift their weight onto the left hip or onto the right hip, or they throw their weight back off their elbows or throw their weight forward from their hind legs. So you can get posture change. And with chronicity, so if they've got this condition, no matter where it is, how bad it is, over time that will create physical change. And the one that everybody thinks about is muscle mass loss and muscle mass gain. So if you're shifting weight away from your um, caudal end, so your hind limbs, into your forelimbs, the forelimbs will do more, so they will gain muscle muscle mass. The hind limbs will do less, so they will lose muscle mass. But then you've got to also look at the other things that dogs will show us. So they'll get coat pattern changes. So if the tissues underneath are changing, the tissue on top is a really big indicator. So you can start getting a chunky mane and you can start getting a lack of molting over the hind limbs, that sort of thing. Can really tell you that there's stuff going on underneath that needs to be attended to. And then you've got the, the simple things, dogs that don't wag their tail anymore, you know. Yeah. It's because they've got atrophic muscles around the, the gluteals and around the tail base because they're not actually using their back end so much. So actually that has a knock-on effect on their tail base, which has an effect on their ability to their stamina to keep that tail wagging or hold that tail up. You've got nail changes because they haven't got the ability to lift their limbs off the ground so they don't have good ground clearance. So you get chaffed nails or you get unworn, um, uneven pads, things like this. You know, once you start seeing it, you're like, oh my god it's everywhere yeah um but we tend to wait for the physical um capability changes so we're waiting for dogs to limp we're waiting for dogs to not be able to jump on the sofa i'd like to get people to start spotting it before that because dogs they cope they're wonderful they're nicer than people they're just yeah. fantastic fantastic animals and i honestly don't believe that they mask pain so there's a lot of people that talk about oh well you know it leaves them in danger if they show signs of weakness so they mask pain I, I honestly don't believe that and I know I'm probably sticking my neck right out here I just think they cope like I'm not going to tell the world that I've got back pains nothing's going to change for me I've just got to get on yeah. with it and get on with my life and I don't think dogs really feel that threatened in the lifestyle that we offer them I just don't think that they know that there's an alternative. So they're just going to shift their weight, change the way they do things and crack on with life. Yeah. And they will do that for as long as possible until they can't cope anymore. Mm -hmm. That's the problem is that we need to be going, right, we shouldn't expect you to cope until you can't cope anymore. Yeah. We will have better results, longer lives, happier, more comfortable lives if we detect this early. Okay. So I'm listening to you as a dog owner and you've obviously helped me as a senior dog owner when we first met like years ago. Um, and I'm always so, so grateful of that. But I'm also listening to you and thinking about the people who I've got in my in my network and in my membership community, particularly like the groomers. So yes. when you were describing some of the physical things that you can see, I know um, there's a groomer, Anna, from the Dog House Leicester. She's really, really switched on. She's brilliant. And when I talked, I mentioned I was talking to you and she said, oh, you know, I've actually had, I've died, you know, I've, I've, seen signs that have really made me concerned about a dog who's come in he's gone off to the vets he's been diagnosed with arthritis so people like groomers can see the signs can't they As you've well there was a groomer that, yeah. um, the groomer I met at I think it was one of the conferences it was two of them actually I just finished doing a lecture and they kind of scuttled up to me and help us help us yeah. we keep sending dogs that we're concerned about to the vets but the vets don't see what we see and 
conversation in a vet room is very different to the conversation in a groomer's room. Mm -hmm. A groomer potentially has more time. There's not the white coat effect. We're not talking about drugs, medications and added finances. So the conversation a groomer can have with an owner is very different to what a vet can have. Mm -hmm. And that they found it really um, demoralizing that they were spotting things and then nothing was panning out once the dog went to see the vet because the vet didn't see what they saw. So the suspicion of chronic pain PDF was actually inspired by a groomer mm-hmm. that they can print it out. They can have it at work. If they've got a dog in, he's on the table, his coat is changed. He's got changes to his nails. They can see that he's become really intolerant to handling. He's, he's now become a little bit snappy, for example, or, you know, he's just a nervous wreck on the table now where he never used to be. Something's mm-hmm. changed. Yeah. Or even be able to say, actually, picking up his left four, he really didn't want to flex for his shoulder and elbow, which he normally would be fine. And he was really averse to having his feet touched. They can give us quite a lot of information. Yeah. You can you can print out that form and you can put your findings down. And what we want people to do is become part of this multidisciplinary team. You know, vets only have 10 to 15 minutes in a box room with no windows, with a huge amount of pressure. You know, yeah. when I'm working as a vet, I'll have a list of people I'm supposed to have phoned, a list of blood results I'm supposed to have interpreted, a surgery waiting, five people in the waiting room that I've still got to see, reception's telling me I should hurry up. (laughs) It's just like, it's very, very difficult. And I think there's real scope that we can start building a really good network around first opinion practices. Okay, so with the groomers then, so we've just had that great example that you shared with me. Um, and I guess, you know, this advice would go for the, it would be the same for the trainers or the walkers or the pet sitters. Um, what? So they've got the form, they can make their observations um, and you can guide them as well with the resources you've got on your website and in, and in the PDFs. What um, what happens next? You know, how do they how do they join up the jigsaw, I guess, between passing the information down to the owner in a non-scary way, the owner then going to the vet and then the the animal getting the care that they need. How would you, how would you kind of suggest that they broach it with the owners and and make sure that that all kind of, it all goes to plan? Yeah. So that's actually a really difficult area. Um, Telling anybody that there is something wrong with their pet or their child is always going to be a hard conversation to have. Yeah. So, um, And I've tried, like, I wish I'd filmed all of the different approaches I've tried. It's almost like a comedy, right? She's going to change her personality again. Let's see what she's going to come up with this time. And I can't promise you that any particular persona and wording and mannerisms will be the winning, you know, strategy. Mm -hmm. You will develop your own. And mine is to be very humble. And I will say I have a suspicion. I think it's, um, you know, I'd rather be wrong than right. So I always say to people, you know, I'd rather be wrong and you get it checked out and you say, no, you were wrong. Yeah. Than right. And we've done nothing about it. Yeah. Um, and then I just try and um, put their mind at rest that it's not their fault. So I say the figures, you know, this is actually a really big problem. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of breed. It's nothing that you've done wrong, you know, but we do need to get it checked out earlier because the good thing about it is that earlier we attend to it, the less invasive the management plan is going to be, the less costly it's going to be. So in a very naive, rose-tinted world, if we started picking up these dogs, say, a Rottweiler. Okay, so Rottweilers have terrible joints, unfortunately. They're one of the worst breeds afflicted. And they tend to get elbow dysplasia and hip dysplasia, and they'll get cruciate problems and everything. So 
say you've got a one-year-old Rottweiler that you're doing a nail clip on and he's become very intolerant to his feet being handled and he really doesn't when you pick up his foot he doesn't flex for his elbow he circumducts it so he kind of waves it away not flexing it away to the body but kind of waves it away you'll think wait a minute that's a bit weird then you can always just say to the owner look this is a breed that does get this it's it's not your fault it's not your problem it's developmental disease let's get it checked um because I think a lot of people take guilt and blame and I think that's something I've learned to make sure I say in that first conversation mm-hmm. and then the next thing I say is you know we might be able to manage this with good weight control change of lifestyle just being ahead of the game it doesn't mean that your dog's going to go on medication and it doesn't mean your dog's going to have invasive surgery but wouldn't you like to know now because you can adjust your lifestyle to suit. Now, some people find that upsetting. You know, don't get me wrong, I've got a border collie and I chose a border collie so that we can be active. You know, we run, we hike, we paddleboard, we, we've just everywhere. And it was the same with Holly. Somebody's saying to me that I can't do that extreme lifestyle will obviously be upset to me, upsetting, but I would rather know and adjust it to get a longer life. Yeah. Let me put that actually. I've got a really good example to explain this. So, it's okay. My dog from before, which you remember, Holly, Holly's, yeah. Holly's army, um, which is the Facebook community group. She suffered terribly with something called lumbosacral disease, which is where you get a bridging of bone and changes around the lower spine, and it tends to cause some pinching on the terminal spinal cord and the spinal nerves as they exit the spine. So it's a neuropathic pain. It tends to start off quite slow coming and going. And then it gets to the point where it can actually be really, really crippling. Now, I didn't detect it in my dog. I didn't realize she was so able. She got on with life. She only had intermittent signs, you know, once every few months that we could just brush off and say, she's just pulled something. And it was only when it was really, really advanced. Did I go, oh, my God she has got lumbosacral disease this is neuropathic pain so having learned from that um, I have now got a younger dog that on every walk we do exercises to strengthen her lower back and it doesn't deter from the pleasure of my walk I have great time going around our little routes and there's certain obstacles that we do different exercises on to maintain her lumbar musculature hypaxials, epaxials, keeping her iliopsoas nice and stretched, gluteal muscle good, quads, hamstrings in balance. Because I don't want her to have instability of the lower spine, which will predispose her to getting lumbosacral disease. Now, go back to that Rottweiler that had potential elbow discomfort and was potentially an elbow dysplasia dog. That owner could be told, well, don't let the dog jump in out the back of the car, minimise stairs, think about the layout of your house, don't do ball throwing where they're going to be putting high torsion forces through those elbows as they're breaking and turning, etc. And why don't we start thinking about doing something like hydrotherapy to maintain a really good muscle mass, a good range of motion. And we'll keep this at bay for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. I would much rather be that owner than be the owner that when the dog is eight is told, actually, there's no movement in these elbows. You know, your dog has got lots of secondary problems because they've been weight shifting away for years. And your dog now hates everybody that comes into the house and every dog that goes near it. And it's become a complete disaster on the lead. So you can't go out. You can't do things. You, you know, your dog has become your anchor, which is a horrible thing to say, but it's yeah. quite common. 
Yeah, it's and it's you know that's really hard hitting, and that's 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 this is a kind of well, you know me. That's the kind of thing that people need, isn't it? People need that because you do you might have that moment of of guilt or discomfort when you're in that grooming salon or you've come back from you know you, you're bringing the dog back after a walk and you've noticed something. You might have that moment of of feeling awkward or uncomfortable or sad even because they're your client and you know that you know things aren't quite right but also you know when you compare that to as you've just said you know a life um a life where you could do some management and the dog can have a nice life compared to a life where they're in pain it's a big it's that moment of I think people don't realize that it, your, dog, your dog can become your anchor you know yeah. I loved my dog Holly and 15 16 years old and um but the last two years, she was an anchor. We didn't do very much. Yeah. We were being really active and always in the thick of it. To I didn't go on holiday, I didn't go away, we didn't go out so much. So um, that can also be applied to these behavioural problems. Mm-hmm. You, you see dogs where owners struggle to integrate them into their lifestyle anymore, but they don't un- look underneath of, well, why did this all start? You know. Mm-hmm. Why is it progressing? What is causing this behaviour to become more and more cemented? So, um, yeah, I, I sometimes, <laughs> I should say this, should I? sometimes I feel walk, like walking away from arthritis because it's draining, it's hard work. But then you just remind yourself that this one condition actually influences so much of a dog's life mm-hmm. and it needs to be talked about more. Yeah. No, completely. I completely hear you. And and I remember when we first spoke, like it's coming up to it must be about four years ago now. And I remember like you spoke to me from my pet blog at the time. And I also had an arthritic dog at the time. And I was very, very grateful of the advice you gave me because I didn't know. And, you know, at the time I was only working as a journalist. I wasn't doing all of the stuff that I do now where I'm much more in the pet world. Um, but I didn't know I was stupid. I had wood floors. I, do, I did things with Daisy that now I really, really regret and I feel so guilty about. But at least in the last couple of years of her life, I was able to put in place the things that you told me to do and make life easier for her. But then, I, you know, I've, I've, I've you've been an expert for me in newspaper articles. I've we've done quite a lot on my blog. Um, and I've really, you know, I've, I always try and share your stuff and, and get the message out there because it's really important. And and it's hard, isn't it, sometimes with arthritis? Because it's not like, you know, oh, trendy French bulldogs are doing this or look at the latest craze about dyeing your hair, dyeing your, your hair, dyeing your dog like into a unicorn. It's hard to get it out there because people are like, oh, it's arthritis. It's about, oh, you know, it's old and, you know, it's about ageing and all that. It's so frustrating, isn't you, it? Do you remember when I did Blunt Mondays? Yeah. When, and um, do you remember the one <laughs> where, um, we changed the name of arthritis? So Blunt Mondays was um, a hashtag. And every Monday I'd say something and not regret it. Well, quite often I did. <laughs> um, and it was my chance to vent because it is, it is, it's hard work. It's hard work yeah. emotionally as well as brain-wise. And one of them was I've, I've decided that I need to change the name of arthritis because I think it's too household and I think people overlook it and they just don't see the importance. Let's, Let's change it. Right. So currently Alabama rot is um, is getting the headlines, you know, mm-hmm. but actually less than 200 dogs has had Alabama rot. So let's call arthritis joint rot. Yeah. And then everybody in the world will go, oh, my God. And they'll start talking about it and it will spread like wildfire. And suddenly we'll, we've got this condition that people have a reason to act. Yeah. And it went brilliantly. Yeah. I was like, cool. Next month, <laughs> the next week. I, um, I decided to call it joint cancer 
because again I wanted people to realize that there's a terminal nature if arthritis isn't attended to in dogs it leads to euthanasia Um, we don't correlate that because humans don't die of arthritis yes people really don't connect and um, I said, I, I just want people to understand, you know, cancer in certain situations could be terminal. Arthritis in many situations is terminal. Oh, my God, I shouldn't have done that. That one I did have to pull. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you're right. Arthritis is a name that people just think is acceptable. It's mm. oh, inevitable. Oh, well, it's just arthritis. Yeah. It's getting old. No, it's pain. You'd never say to someone, I'm sorry, you've just got pain. Yeah. And I've had conversations around arthritis where people have said, oh, well, they're just going to get arthritis. And it's like, well, if there's something that you can do to to make a change there, then why can't we do it? Because when you've seen also, obviously, you have loads because you're a vet, but I've seen my dog who had arthritis. And at the end, you know, she was she was active. She was really active, actually, right up until the, her last couple of months. But, you know, you see the stiffness and those things that you've just described where she went from being really friendly to really, really grumpy and other dogs have come over. And then when other dogs came over, you wanted to, you were just so annoyed with the owners. Like one of my neighbours, for example, always used to stop and talk. And I'd be like, she doesn't, Daisy is in pain here. She does not want your dog harassing her. And she'd be twittering on it. It used to really annoy me. But when, <laughs> sorry to rant, but when you see a dog like that, it's like you don't think oh they're just going to get arthritis yes it was I did everything to try and help my dog but if you can stop that happening you, yeah. you, that's what you want well let's to... talk about two things that you said um stiffness okay yeah. so I've always had a bit of a problem with this term because it's a descriptive term a visual description it doesn't tell you what that feels like yeah as I said I think it's quite interesting that fate has given me such a bad back problem and leg problems now because I probably am pretty stiff and when I move and I go down to pick up Luna's poo in a poo bag you know you're like oh geez this is this is a bit sore and someone would say she's quite stiff and I'd be like no actually that hurt that actually really hurt me to just bend down and pick up her poo and it is a pain that getting out of bed can be difficult you know if I've been sat down at the computer for too long and it's beginning to influence how I foresee my future. You know, I'm, I'm taking it seriously mm. to, you know, sort it out. But I think I won't be able to go running or I wouldn't be able to, you know, enjoy that really long hike because I'm, I'm going to get sore or be sore the next day. Will I be able to snowboard? Will I be able to kite surf? All the things that I love. Beginning to make myself think, actually, I need to sort this out. Yeah. And um, so stiffness is just a visual description it doesn't tell you how that animal feels and I think we need to kind of step away from it and say this visual stiffness that is probably pain because it's the most likely thing that pain can be pretty bad muscle pain can be pretty damn bad and it can wake you up in the night so there's that next thing is that I think people believe that the pain remains localized within the joint so they'll go oh he's got hip arthritis so they in their head think that that dog will only ever be in pain when that hip is moving mm-hmm. you couldn't be more wrong so this disease is the most common cause of central sensitization which means that the nervous system completely rewires itself yeah nervous system's plastic it's always changing a bit like our muscle mass is changing it's always changing and it will rewire itself to transmit more pain and it gets to the point that the hip arthritis can be tickling along going 
I'm okay today, actually. I'm not very flary. I'm not very inflamed. I'm okay. But the nervous system's going, well, that's not what I hear. Nope, nope. I'm going to carry on sending messages because yeah. I'm wound up and ready to go. And you get two disease states. You get the arthritis disease within the joint and you get a nervous system disease where it starts generating its own signals of pain, irrespective of what's happening in the joint. But you also get a third disease. You get all the secondary. So you get muscle pain in the muscles that are working harder mm -hmm. by shifting. You might also get muscle discomfort in all the muscles that are beginning to waste away and are not used so much because our muscles are arranged in what are called antagonistic pairs. So if one group is failing, another group might have to be working harder. So you've actually got multiple things going on. You've got fourth disease, which is the fascial system, but we won't even go there. So that hip arthritis is actually the seed that grows a massive oak tree of lots of other different kinds of pain. And I think this is why education is so important. And go back to that Rottweiler that's two years old, mm -hmm. catch it then. We don't want to catch it when it's turned into an oak tree because actually managing an oak tree is a lot harder. Medicinally, it's a lot harder. Um, trying to combine a multimodal approach is a lot harder. I would much rather help an owner with their lifestyle, with their exercise, encourage them to embrace what I'm doing with my dog at a young age. Mm -hmm try and put off that horrible situation where you're having to manage multiple interventions at once okay um so much so much helpful advice there and again with with i i it's when i was talking about the stiffness i was talking about you know like what we have with older just the kind of gait that you talked about so with older dogs you see yeah. you know, the way, now when I look at Patch and he's like four we got him when he was two and there was I think there was six months between losing Daisy and her, she was 14 and then having yeah. Patch he was two looking at the way that he walked was obviously completely different and it is it's it it makes me it makes me feel emotional talking about it now and it was like four years ago and I, I know that when you talk about Holly it would be the yeah. same for you wouldn't it it's really hard isn't it being the owner of an older dog um and I guess you know all the people the people who listen to this who work with dogs and work with dogs of all ages they would want they what they will I hope they'll take away the story about the Rottweiler and think okay if I ever see anything that I think is good you know is cause for any concern I'm going to relate back to them that's what this is all about isn't it it really, is it's really about important. actually it's it's like educating everybody yeah be really honest it's um that's why we do practice trainings mm -hmm. We know that we could take a vet aside and teach them, but then they've got to try and persuade the rest of the practice that this is important. Or, you know, we could take a nurse and do a nurse training day and then they've got to go back and they've got this big barrier mm -hmm. to get everybody else to think like them. Well, we've learned a lot doing the practice trainings and how effective it is to train everybody at once, but we haven't tried doing all the para um, services. So the canine professionals in and around that practice, mm -hmm. So just imagine what you can achieve. You've trained, trained to practice and they're on board, which we've done. And we've just done a course for Hills Nutrition, so Hills Pet Foods. And it's a 12 webinar series designed for vets and nurses. And in the first two weeks, we had 1,300 people sign up, which is insane. Wow. I wish I'd actually kept it to myself and charged. <laughs> <laughs> you could have made some money. Last year. Just, for, just so, um, on the topic, Hannah, um, you know, Hannah, has been running her organization for for many many years and has put absolutely everything that she possesses owns 
and a, yeah. a heart and energy into Cam. And um, yeah, if, if anyone I'm living with my parents at the moment so that I can have no overheads. I know, bless you. you are... I'm giving it the last ditch push. The pandemic in many ways has allowed time to stand still for yeah. me um, because there's so much chaos in the world. You know, um, I opted to kind of move back in with the folks and put my heart and soul into it until we come out the other side, hoping that it's got, you know, more sustainable legs <laughs> but yeah no it has it has been it has been costly but looking at what we can achieve when wouldn't, wouldn't it be incredible if all the dog walkers and dog groomers and dog trainers and behaviorists in and around the practice are also on board mm-hmm. with the approach because we need to tackle it and there's a lot of effort trying to look into breeds that are susceptible to developmental joint disease. By the way, that is the leading cause of arthritis. You know, it's not wear and tear. When people kind of go, oh, my dog's got arthritis, it was inevitable. No, actually, it's not. So greyhounds, for example, and whippets don't get bad arthritis. They don't get developmental joint disease. Whereas a lot of other breeds that we do. So the elbow dysplasias, the hip dysplasias, patella luxation, osteochondrosis, all of these conditions are very breed related. Um, so most of the arthritis that we see actually started when they were young. So yeah. let's just put that out there. Um, but yeah, wouldn't it be amazing if everybody had a better understanding and a better respect for the condition so that owners didn't fear it as much as, as we do? They mm-hmm they had options practices worked with these um, canine professionals and we knew that we had non-expensive successful um treatment options like changed exercise regimes weight control therapeutic targeted exercises all of these sorts of things i think would be a real achievement it's interesting you say that because one of the things that comes up, I know obviously we're talking about arthritis here, but on this podcast, I usually cover publicity. This is a special episode of the podcast where we're, we're doing like a spotlight on Hannah. Um, but one of the things that comes up again and again is that pet professionals want to build relationships with vets, but sometimes aren't quite sure about the best way to go about it. So I always yeah. generally encourage them to say, OK, well, why don't you like, you know, like I've done with you over the years, why don't you build a relationship with your vet where they help you out on blogs they might help you out with content? If they've got a campaign, you can share as a local pet professional so let's say if like the vet in limb is having like a you know a parasite campaign or something if I was a dog walker in limb I would say oh you know would you can I can I get on board with this can we work together it's a way of collaborating but actually if you're being seen as that pet professional who is so on it that they are you know they're sending their clients to you because they feel concerned about about the you know about the pet's health that is a tremendous reflection on you as a pet professional to that vet. It really it? is. And, and I think also you've got, to, you've got to remember that you are the influencer. So yeah. dog walker, people are, are using your services because they trust you um, and they have faith in you. So quite often I found that um, people in and around my owners tend to have more ability to convey a message than I as the vet do. Yeah. I think times have changed a lot. I've been a vet for nearly 20 years now. And I think we've really, we're not the oracle that people go to anymore. You know, we used to be the person that they'd ask about anything pet related, but there are so many other streams of information readily available now. And let's be honest, in the last few years, sadly, vets have been taking a real vet bashing. Yeah. 
certain costs, um, which is a totally different topic. But put that into the little food processor of what else is going on. People are beginning to step away from seeking advice from vets, which is just sad. Yeah. Um, and they are going to the canine professionals for their opinion. So let's make sure the opinion's right, yeah. update, current, evidence-based. We've got to all realise that, you know, that dog's life is in our hands. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, when I was reading, um, before we, me and Hannah, we, we are in touch fairly regularly on social media, but when I saw your camp, when I saw this campaign that you're working on at the moment, and I read some of the articles in the vet press, and this is a campaign around your new course, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And I saw there was a line in there about, you, you know, the new influencers. And I was like, that is, she has nailed it there. She's got this campaign so right. We're talking about the pet professionals as the influencer. And as a journalist and someone who's written about the other kind of influencers, I was like, oh my God, this is so, so brilliant. This is so right. This is how to, this is how to do it. Because I know you've, you've done so much over the years to get the message out there. But mm. this, I love this idea of the pet professionals being, being that, per, you know, adding that protective arm of what they do with the pet health in there so yeah. it's just amazing I think what you've done can you tell me about the new course that you've got for the pet professionals where they can learn and have all of this information we've talked about in this podcast which we, we both talk really fast as well don't we um, but where they can go and take, go away and have it really really take in this information and put in systems and steps to help their clients yeah. tell me about your brilliant course okay so um so we're called canine arthritis management so everybody refers to us as CAM. And we know lots of vets and professionals that say to their owners, now just go to CAM. So it's, a, it's becoming a brand, which is what we always intended to do because we wanted to be here for the long term and we wanted people to use our resource as their you know, third arm type thing. So um, as the resource got bigger, we realised what well, I, <laughs> I realised I was struggling to stay on top of all of the posts, all of the feedback. So I put a shout out to members of the public that I've been helping for a few years. Do any of you want to step forward and start supporting me, support others? And it was unbelievable. The the uptake was crazy. And we had to start a new group called Cambassadors. So they are the ambassadors of Cam. And these women, there's only two men in the group, mostly women, um, are incredible like they are bringing their professional skills and helping me run this platform and everybody has different skills um I've got an awesome girl called Hannah Walker who's brilliant at infographics she's a dog trainer and behaviorist and she's helping me create um games that are suitable for dogs that uh, have disabilities I've got Lynn who um, works at the University of Liverpool. She oversees all the campasters and makes sure that everybody's doing what they should do and make sure we have our gin meetings once a month. So I've got this awesome group of people that aren't vets and they're not even in the canine profession, quite a lot of them. They have skills to give and they're proud to be called a cambassador. And any post that they put on the platform, they um, sign off as hashtag cambassador to show the public that they've had further training that their advice is evidence-based and safe. They have the ability to kind of direct a conversation or stop a conversation. They police the platform from um, outside marketing, um, basically bad advice. Mm -hmm. So watching them and seeing how proud they were to be a cambassador, which was so heart glowing for me, I was like, right, okay, let's take this approach and let's create the cam advocate 
and we need advocates for canine arthritis management, not us. We're talking about the discipline, canine arthritis management. We can't cure the disease, we can only but manage it. So we decided to create a course for the canine professionals so they can become CAM advocates. They advocate for our mission, they advocate for the cause, and they advocate for the dog. What is best for the dog? Yeah. So um, the course that I'd written for vet nurses and vets, um, I really felt could be taught to the canine professional. I didn't feel that it was beyond their reach. So I've adapted it and reduced it down into 10 modules and put a lot more emphasis on what they do and what they see. But I've wanted them to be taught like they're a vet nurse or a vet. I I respect them that they have influence. They can help us manage this condition. Their opinions count. So some of the course, you will feel like you're in a classroom with a load of vets and vet nurses. That's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. I think we should have complete um, open access to this. Within the course, in the 10 modules, there is lots of downloads, further reading, JPEGs, um, tick lists, crib sheets, questionnaires. I want you to come out of the course being able to utilise the resources immediately. You know, so I want it to be a proper gift pack. And we've produced a lot of downloads for um, professionals and owners over the last few years. So it's all incorporated in there. So you can use them, just use them immediately. Um, And we wanted you to be able to start putting the message out online as well. So I want people to know that you've done further training, that you're up on it, that you get it and that you can offer an improved service because of it. So we're hoping that it's like getting the biggest gift box we don't want you to be taught something and then for you to feel a little bit alone in the dark going, well, that was great to know about it, but I really don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say that's how I felt when I started looking into arthritis. I was learning stuff that really broke my heart, but I didn't know what to do with it. How do you, how do you actually initiate change? Mm-hmm. And that's what we needed. We needed change. So I don't want people to go through that. So we've equipped it well. Um, there's also a Facebook group that you are invited to on completing the course. So when you finish the 10 modules and you can't cheat, it's designed that you have to do everything and you have to get 85% in the multiple choice quizzes at the end of each module, which are only 10 questions. So I'm making it too difficult. You get a certificate at the end and then you get invited to come and join us in a private Facebook group, which I spent my life on Facebook. Um, but it means that you don't feel alone. And I want people to not come out of the course feeling overwhelmed. I want them to feel that they're part of something bigger, bigger than them, that can actually really make a difference. So it's called CAM Advocate Level 1. This course is an overview. And I've got aspirations next year to do Level 2 and Level 3, which are going to be a lot harder. So Level 2, at the moment, I'm looking to be working with Kathy Murphy from Barking Brains. And we're going to do... um, pain behavior and the neurophysiology of pain which is going to be much more in depth which will be so exciting for me and then at cam advocate level three i want to do musculoskeletal and and the rehabilitation of oa so you can understand about targeted exercise um you know musculoskeletal management how all of these different therapies can actually influence the disease so yeah I'm, i'm hoping we're going to really gain traction for almost like a, a universal qualification for people. 
what we're doing alongside it, because I know the conversations are so difficult, is we're making a campaigner course, which is for the owner. Okay. They're going to be campaigning for better management for their dog, their friend's dogs, everybody's dogs. So they've also can be in our our world in our community they can be supported yeah and that's going to be a very short course it's going to be like six modules pretty easy but we're hoping that vets and canine professionals can just say to somebody look just do that I I'm going to be here picking up all the pieces Mm -hmm. but I find actually explaining everything quite difficult so I'd like you to do this and then we can talk together because Let's face it, you know, trying to educate can be really hard. And I can be in front of a room of people thinking, I know what I'm talking about, but you can't get what I'm saying. I have to adapt. I have to adapt to change the way I say it. Well, that can be really hard for people. So we're making a course that the CAM advocates can then utilise and hand out themselves. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible to actually just get to the mission point, which is changing this misunderstanding. That sounds so fantastic, and I know what you're meaning about. I know what you mean about um, about communicating, getting the, getting those really simple points across. Because I know whenever um, whenever I write about, whenever I've written about arthritis, or whenever I've written about a lot of topics, I always think, oh gosh, you know, whoever it is who I've interviewed who's got so much knowledge like you, I worry that you know, does it look like it's been dumbed down? I always have, you know, you've got a certain, you've only got a short amount of time or a short amount yeah. of words to use. And you think, okay, these are the key points. Like, you know, remember with the ball throw, it was like, don't use a ball thrower. And there's these three, there would be like three, four, five key points. But actually, for you to, um, for you to create something for the, for the pet professionals where they can, they can learn and educate themselves so they can, as you say, have those conversations with owners and have the resources to to get through them, the crib sheets, the checklists mm-hmm. and all the things. So that's brilliant. But for them also to have somewhere to send the owners when they want to learn more, that's really making a difference. That's really it's a, such a brilliant joined up approach, isn't it? Between yeah, the I think the puzzle needs to be really, yeah, it needs to be pushed together. So we've got to have the vets and nurses and receptionists as aware as the professionals around the practice as aware as the owners so how do we actually really bring all of that together and we hope that the cam branding you know it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be buoyant it's supposed to be exciting and positive and we wanted that to kind of like be this unifying approach Mm -hmm. and we on cam we have lots and lots of different experts and key opinion leaders and people that are actually at the head of their game coming in and um, offering their time for free to keep this education ball rolling. Yeah. Um, so I, I had Brennan McKenzie, who's known as the Skepfet. Um, at the beginning of the week, I had the awesome Dr. Stephen Fox, who is arthritis legend of the world, of the world. Um, I've had Duncan Nassau, Stuart Carmichael, Matt Brunke, David Dykes, Louise Clark, Gwen Covey-Crump. These are absolutely legendary names on this platform for you to keep. So um, it's there. We just need to market it now, really, don't we? Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Definitely. OK, so um, what? So if people are listening and they're like a pet professional or they're a pet o- owner, they've got a pet brand, maybe they have like an accessory brand Um or, you know, they're just a kind of regular pet owner like myself. If people are listening and thinking, okay, I've listened to what Hannah's doing here. Um, how can I, what what can I do with, what can I do with this? What can I take on board? What would your advice be to them? Okay. Well, one thing very selfishly, you know, if you have got a brand 
that has products, non-therapeutic, so we're not, bluntly, I'm not interested in getting involved in supplements, Mm -hmm. you know, these sorts of things. So if you have a brand that maybe is doing enrichment, um, toys, harnesses, beds, raised bowls, dog trolleys, car boot accessories, ramps, you name it. If it's got that kind of angle, then please get in touch because we have an online shop and it's an affiliate link system. Mm-hmm. Money from the shop, the margins that we make go back to keeping Cam going. So okay. do you get in touch if you've got anything along lines like that. If you're inspired to become a Cam ambassador so that you can carry on learning in an amazing group of women um, and give back. So you might have a little bit more downtime at the moment, and you think actually it'll teach me as well as me giving back at the same time, then please get in touch um, because we're always looking for more volunteers. Um, if you are thinking, oh my God, she's really inspired me to do something, do the CAM Advocate course. It's um, it's on special at the moment, just for the Christmas period. Um, we're doing a Christmas gift. It's down to $120. Mm-hmm. It normally retails at $180. Um, and as I say, it's 10 modules. It's at least 14 hours work basic. If you do all the further reading and you listen to all the lives that I've linked into it, you're looking at 25, 30 hours of work. So it's, it's a good it's a good sized um, piece. At the end of it, you get to have a certificate that you can put up at your place of work. You can have the logos that you can put all over your social media and website. Um, and you can basically tell the world that you've got further training about one of the worst <laughs> canine diseases. You know, it, it, it breaks my heart. It's a welfare issue. It's been redesignated as a welfare concern, along with obesity and dental disease. These yeah. three conditions are so neglected and poorly managed that there are, and the Royal College and um, Vet Compass have said these are the biggest concerns that we face in small animal practice. So we need to be embracing this and doing something about it. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Well, look, that's fantastic. How, can you tell me as well how long your Christmas, how long the Christmas offer thing is going on for? Um, it's on until Christmas Eve. So oh God. Tw- okay. Christmas. Can you make it a bit longer because it's the 18th? And I've got to edit the podcast. <laughs> that means I've got to get this podcast out like on Monday. <laughs> well i'm sure if people get in touch with me there's things that we okay. can do okay thank you okay so i am i'm going to wrap this up in a moment but what i wanted to do hannah is i want to show you some of the love for you and cam so um because it's always nice when people say nice things about you and i know how hard you work um and it's lovely to get a bit of recognition for what you do so i'm going to read out a couple of the things that people said in my facebook group some of them are questions some of them are just people being lovely um, because I think you'll like it. And I always like to include people who, who are excited about the podcast in the podcast. So mm-hmm. Ricky Sullivan, she's a dog walker. She was also a canine copywriter. Um, so actually she'd be great because I know she'll want to spread the cam message because she writes for a lot of pet brands. So Ricky said, this is exciting. I have no input other than to say that cam are fab and I'm so glad they exist. So Ricky's got a 10-year-old Yorkie, Poppy. Um, Yay. I know. So she says, I've used their resources so much to help and with how to manage Poppy's arthritis and their Facebook groups are great. She's looking forward to this one. Cool. Um, so Michelle Burgess from Scruffy Little Terrier. Terriers, um, I've, well, I've had a terrier with arthritis. Uh, they have luxating patella issues, don't they, often? So her audience um, 
will be people who need to be aware of your work. Um, so Michelle said, could you ask her how you would go about helping prevent arthritis before it happened as some dogs are more are more likely to get it? So we've covered that. So that's brilliant. Um, Mira, who is a dog walker, has asked about the how efficient homemade supplements are um, to prevent arthritis. Hannah, I know we touched on this before, but what what do you want to very quickly tell me what your thoughts are it's on really, that? It's really hard. And I don't want to, to break people's hope bubbles. I really don't. Yeah. But for example, turmeric has got a 1% bioavailability, which means that only 1% of what you give is ever going to have any influence at all. That 1% has got to get from the gut through the first pass hepatic metabolism, so through the liver, through the blood system and go and deposit itself locally into that, that vicinity of that joint. So realistically, it's a little bit, it's a little bit naive of us to believe that these homemade supplements really do cut it. And I think what I would suggest is go and listen to Brennan McKenzie. I recorded it with him last night. So it's on the Facebook page and it'll be on our YouTube. He's called the Skepfet and he is very interested in evidence base, you know. So he takes emotion out of it. He takes wishes and wants and fantasies and what we would really like. And he looks at solely at the evidence and there just is not the evidence to support that that is in a way to effectively manage pain. And at the end of our discussion, we both just felt that it wouldn't it be nicer if owners on the acknowledging that their dogs are in pain, which is the major clinical sign of arthritis, they approach the vet. We take a, a, a recognized, evidence-based, um, proven approach and come in behind with these other remedies with the belief that if they are effective, then we will reduce the allopathic intervention, so the Western-based medicinal intervention, and it doesn't need to return rather than what we're seeing where people avoid the evidence-based approach, the yeah, anti-inflammatories, the medical approach, in favour of these um, more um, natural means. And actually, when they don't work after weeks and months, the dog's been going, well, actually, I could have done with pain relief months ago. And so I think with respecting people's wishes, I think we can do both, but I think we've got them the wrong way around. Mm -hmm. I really think that if I was a dog that had really bad joints and had got to the point that my owner saw it, which we have to admit dogs cope. So by the time the dog says, I'm not coping, I'm expressing pain. That means that they're in pretty severe discomfort. And it's our duty of care to get that pain under control as quickly and as effectively as possible. And then we can take our wants and wishes into consideration. So that dog would say to me, "Go, thanks for doing my pain. Yeah, fine. You can go and read about what you want and we can try other things, but I feel better now. And I, yeah. I just think that's a much more balanced approach rather than waiting, waiting, waiting and only using these proven methods at the last port of call. Okay, so in a nutshell, go to the vet first, think about other things later. Um, this would be the... I think, and it's not because I'm a vet, I'm just thinking about what the dog wants at yeah. the end. We know that any of these natural interventions, um, most of them are going to be taking quite a long time to have any effect if they have mm -hmm. any effect at all. Okay. Um, the gains that we see tend to be pretty marginal, whereas the things that seem to make a massive difference, like exercise management, stopping them having accidents in the home, weight control, 
are overlooked. So I would put my my natural kind of wish for this holistic approach very much on more rugs, less drugs, stop jumping them on and off the sofa, don't let them jump in and out the back of the car, stop the ball throwing, get rid of the worker, exercise them to their requirements. That's where my natural heart would be. I would, if needing pain medication, explore a well-trodden path mm-hmm. with the belief that I can put natural behind it. And if natural is going to work, then I'll come off the well-trodden path because I won't need it. Okay. Okay, no, that's 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 fantastic. Thank you. Um, okay, so Karen, bless her, Karen Rhodes from Luxury Dog Campus said that Cam wore a lifeline when Bailey was struggling. So Karen lost her dog, Bailey, at the start of lockdown. Oh, She's I'm got sorry. enough. I know, such a lovely boy as well. Um, she doesn't have anything to ask, but she just said to tell you what you do is amazing. Oh, I know, so lovely to get a thank you, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is nice to get a thank you. So um, Kerry Jordan, who's a pet photographer, has said would be good to know if she's any advice for using her information within different industries as content. So I think when we talked about the ambassadors um, and the work that they do, I think that could work for Kerry as a photographer. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, if I've appealed to any of you, you know, we've had a couple of um, fun- fundraising campaigns with photographers that have done um, photo shoots with um, a portion going to Cam, which... I'm not joking, it's a lifeline. Like I am um, a bit of a secret. I completely forgot we'd just giving account. We'd used it a couple yeah. of years ago. I forgot it was still on the page. And I went and found that there was some money in it the other day. I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely bread and butter now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the bank account is dry. We've just saved up um, £10,000 to rebuild the website because it's out of date now. It was done in 2016. It's clunky, chunky. It's not well searched search engine optimized but it's taken ages to save up the 10 grand um 99 of the people that work on camp do it for free but it's now got big enough and more expensive that i've got to turn it into a full-time job because mm-hmm. I, I just can't keep doing it so if you um if you've been inspired all help is really really appreciated fantastic okay um and there's a few other comments. Let me just have a quick look. Oh, another photographer, um, another photographer called Liz Gregg. Some of the shoots that she does, she donates a percentage to Cam. So this is what. There you go. Yay to Liz. Um, Liz says something here where she says, "Too many people see pain, see the pain as inevitability, which I know that we covered a lot there. But she said, "Too many people see the pain as an inevitability rather than exploring the options to ease it." So I think like Liz has hit the nail on the head there from what we've covered today. Um, and it's fantastic that she's donating to you guys as well. So well I think it's Liz. really sad. Like, so I've, I feel like I have x-ray eyes now. I just see it everywhere. And um, even just in the in local vicinity, I've, I've mentioned things to people and some people embrace it. I had a lady come up to me the other day and she said, you're the, you're, you're, you're the person that gave me some advice the other day. And I was like, am I? Okay, cool. Is it okay? And she was like, oh my God, it's brilliant. You know, the dog is a different dog. I went to the vet and we've been put on a pain relief. He has got his life back. I just didn't realize. And that's great. But then you have other people that are stuck doing a massive swerve. So you walk past them and you can just go, oh God, it wasn't something that they wanted to hear. And there's um, there's a dog near me at the moment who has become really quite um, un, un, badly behaved on the lead. Is that mm. his um, terrier? got back legs that quiver you've got muscle mass loss you can see he walks quite stilted and you know I gave them the free resources I said look you know 
please go and have a read. I'll do whatever I can to help. And I'm I'm now they're swerving me, and I just sit there thinking, God, this is so difficult. You know, yeah. I I haven't suggested a fee. I haven't suggested any anything that you should be angry at me about. But you're now avoiding me because you denial. I don't know what it is. Mm. Oh, it's a shame, isn't it? But it's very difficult. Yeah, but then that's oh, that's that's going to happen isn't it like not everyone's going to be receptive to what it is that you've got to say I think I know when I spoke to people who work with um canine obesity that's something that they they encounter as well um okay um so we've got one more thing one more one more thing so Amanda um Amanda Perryman who does canicross uh, and bike drawing and all, all really active things like that says I love this woman I love Cam and I love Holly's army have a wonderful time with her and just let her know she's being heard by our canicross community too I share her posts across our club page and link back always to them when I can so that's great that's really active no, that's dog, great and do you know it? what would be awesome is if we start getting an audience that we can um really up the ante of the post so that will <laughs> with really active dogs almost require a different kind of education so we're looking at dogs that are still very able but we need to be looking at a preventative you know so that audience wouldn't it be amazing if we could teach them to do a basic orthopedic exam that they could do on a regular basis they can pick up on early signs of joint dysfunction or teach them a rehab examination where they can you know detect areas that muscle tension muscle hypertonicity we can talk about exercise strategies we can look at nutrition because that is a different cohort of understanding that mm-hmm. they compared to what the everyday dog owners because we're still very much pitching towards people that don't even know arthritis is a problem yeah but, um oh, there's so much there's so much scope with where this can go it's i know keep it going and funding it going Absolutely. I've got I've got quite a few Canicross people, actually, who are in my um, group or who've done my blogging course. So it'd be really great for them to be or take on board what you've just said there. Yeah. OK, so I'm very conscious of time. I know how busy you are. Thank you so much because we've talked a lot. We've covered a lot. Um, I'm going to put all of your links in the show notes for this episode. So if you want to go and find out more about Hannah and go and find the brilliant resources that she's provided here, um, you can go and grab them. Um, so I will. I'm going to let you go, Hannah, but it's been so brilliant talking to you. And as always, the work that you do, I just love, love chatting to you. And you're such a, sorry to sound funny, but you are such an inspiration. And I I know, well, you are. So take it. You've, that's why I wanted to do, wanted to um, share some of those lovely messages because it's so nice to get a thank you sometimes, isn't it? And to feel appreciated. And so I know you tell us where people can find you um, if you want to find out more about CAM. Okay, so go to www.caninearthritis.co.uk. You'll find all of the social media resources. If you type in hashtag your dog more years, you'll find more. And the other one is hashtag cam arthritis. And it tends to lead you into the world. We're just trying to saturate the market. And um, yeah, please get in touch. It's always it's always nice to hear from people fantastic okay well it's been so lovely having you on the show hannah thank you so much for your time and i hope you have a lovely lovely christmas i'm going to get this out before christmas i promise so thank thank you. you thank you for listening to the publicity for pet businesses podcast for more free resources and ways to promote yourself as a pet entrepreneur, visit www.publicityforpetbusinesses.co.uk.